Well, I hope you're uh, enjoying this uh, story of Ruth where uh, we're really delving into Ruth. Most uh, churches, when they go through the book of Ruth, do it as chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, but we're taking a bit slower. I think it's really worthwhile just to journey sometimes, just to delve in and, and look at a book slowly, take notice of all the details as they come about and see God at work. We're going to continue in Ruth 2, so if you don't have page 223 in front of you, I'd encourage you to do so. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week and uh, start in verse 14. But before we dive into the text today, we need to do a quick recap of last week because the, the story continues. Uh, so much happened in this story that we just needed a pause last week and stop, and then we're going to continue on and see what happens this week. So last week we were introduced to Boaz. Uh, a man whose name means strength. He's a worthy man, uh, meaning he has power and wealth. But he's also, we found out, to be a man of integrity. Uh, and he's from the clan of Elimelech, which means that he's a re- relative of Naomi's. And by extension, that means that Ruth is a relative of his too, which places him culturally as a redeemer of Naomi's line. Uh, so to, to be reminded about what that means... And we actually see that word for the first time today, redeemer. uh, Is that Naomi? uh, Is that Boaz can buy Naomi and Ruth out of their poverty by purchasing the land that they lost when Naomi's husband and sons died, and he can father male children in the family line. He can work the land on behalf of the family, acting as the redeemer on their behalf, which I mentioned last week is the equivalent of us. You know, say you were not uh, able to afford your mortgage anymore, so the bank takes your house, but then a relative of yours says, you know what, I'll buy that house back for you, uh, and I'll give it back to you for free. So it's quite, it's quite big generosity. It's an incredible act of kindness that Boaz could give, should he choose to give it. Uh, we also need to remember, though, that this time period is not a safe period. It's the period of judges. So it's a violent and barbaric time in Israel's history. (coughs) Excuse me. So we saw Ruth wanting to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. She's poor, widowed, a foreigner, so has every right by Jewish law to glean in the fields. And by chance, uh, remember last week we saw it was by chance, which of course was Marcus to say God provided, uh, a way for her to pick Boaz's field and glean. And uh, so reminder, gleaning means that you gather the leftovers from the field that's been harvested. So so Ruth does this, uh, and we know that gleaning wasn't safe. We're in the period of the judges. Uh, This is affirmed twice in the book of Ruth. So verse 9, Boaz tells his men not to touch Ruth. But also today, we find out in verse 22, Naomi tells Ruth to stay close to the young women, lest in another field she be assaulted. So it's not a safe thing to glean at the moment. Anything could happen to Ruth Ruth in the gleaning process. She might even lose her life. So it's not a safe thing to do. But in God's providence, Ruth meets Boaz. From Boaz's character last week, We saw a man of integrity. He looks after his workers. He shows kindness and mercy to Ruth, who is vulnerable. He shows concern for her before he finds out who she is. Uh, He tells her to stay in his field. 
He provides safety from what could happen to her. He commands his, his young men who are employed by him not to touch her. Uh, I mentioned last week, this is probably the first anti-sexual harassment policy that's ever recorded in history. He's a protector. He protects Ruth. He, he lets Ruth draw from water from the, the water that the men have drawn. Think about this culturally. This is quite different, isn't it? Uh, it's completely countercultural. As a foreigner and a woman, Ruth should be handing out the water to the men. But Ruth here is told, you go ahead and take from the men. You're to be served first. Boaz shows God's hesed, kindness, mercy, and love. And Ruth is uh, rightly overwhelmed by all of this. She falls to her face and asks, why me? And Boaz shows more kindness, praising Ruth with his words and fully seeing her for who she is, honoring her decisions, which I mentioned last week. No one has done that yet. It was Boaz who was the first to honor her decisions. He said, all you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people who did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So Boaz says, I see you. I see your faith. I see your works. I know your faith is real. And just as you found refuge in the Lord Yahweh, so I will give you refuge. And that's just to catch us up to this point. And what we're going to see continued is Boaz's continued hesed kindness and love and mercy. And we have to keep comparing this to see the beauty of it. We have to keep comparing this to the book of Judges because the book of Ruth uh, is this shining star on a black canvas in a, in a horrible time period in history. It screams out God's kindness and love and mercy and providence and redemption. And here's the thing. All of those elements of God's love continue. They just keep going in the story. Boaz keeps showing kindness. And we get uh, a little bit further in the story. So have a look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her, to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Boaz's favor to Ruth is extending all the way to the lunch table. It's now noon uh, and Boaz and Ruth share their first meal. If you were the inner romantic, this could be classed as their first date. And he chose a picnic. Smooth. It's a bit distracting, though, uh, because the, the workers are looking on on the side. It's not actually a very romantic scene when you look at it at all, but Boaz's kindness is still extended here. Think through the details. What do we know of Ruth? She's gleaning because she's poor. She probably didn't bring lunch. She's looking for someone to give her favor. Here is Boaz meeting her needs and more. Boaz shares his food with her. Look at what, what Boaz does. Come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. He's inviting her to eat his food. And he passes roasted grain to her. 
Come and try my wine. Dip it in the wine. And Ruth eats until she was satisfied and had leftovers. Boaz is uh, a man with integrity and strength in his character. What, what sort of boss would provide lunch for his workers? That's what he's done here. Even though he's a wealthy boss, not only does he provide lunch, he eats with his workers. He feeds them and eats with them. He doesn't isolate himself or think himself above any of his workers. He just sits with them, talks with them, feeds them. But it's not just generosity to his workers either. Of course, the the generosity and kindness is towards Ruth. Boaz urges Ruth to eat his food. He, he passes her roasted grain. We're supposed to notice that. He actually takes it from his hand to hers. He passes the grain to her. He saves her. He gives her food. He's serving her. And in all of this, Boaz actually shows true leadership. Because what's a true leader? What's the mark of a true leader? It's someone who serves. He provides, and he does it with grace. His attitude is warm and humble, and he's not stingy. If, if we, only we could find a boss who wasn't stingy, here's one. Verse 14 says that Ruth ate until she was satisfied and had leftovers. A poor widow, a foreigner, and Boaz doesn't need to do any of this, but he wants to. His kindness keeps going on and on and on. He, he's respectful to Ruth. He doesn't miss a detail. He's, his kindness just keeps going, keeps extending. It goes over the top. What a worthy man he is. He's a morally beautiful guy, and he uses his power for love, not gain. And his kindness extends further in verse 15. Boaz tells the workers, that Ruth can have access not only to the area of the fields that have been worked, she can glean among the sheaves. I wonder if you know what that means. Here's what it means. She doesn't have to pick up the leftovers anymore. Boaz is giving her special access to pick up grain from the bundles that have already been harvested. Go into the center of the field and just grab what you want. She can literally go and pick up the pick of the crop that she wants to. And she is not to be insulted or mistreated for doing so. She has special access from Boaz. Don't even bother about gleaning, really. Just take. And verse 16, uh, he keeps extending in the kindness. Boaz uh, tells the workers, don't make Ruth pull out the grain she wants. Literally, go and pull the stalks out from the bundles and leave them for her. So just... Go, go and actually take it for her. Don't make her glean at all. Just go and take it and put it in her hands. This is a very different day, I'm sure, than what Ruth thought she was getting into. And Ruth did hard work before lunch, but now the workers are working hard for her. It's beautiful kindness. It, it, it's way beyond anything that Boaz actually needs to do. And in fact, the amount that Ruth is given is 15 times the amount of one day's wage. Because in Boaz, we see that God is not a God who is stingy or gives nothing, but a God who is generous. Even where there's been a famine, he sees God as generous. Boaz sees God as generous. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it, for Boaz just to say, you know what, we've had hard times, so I'll just give you a little bit or none. 
but he gives over an abundance. Well, the story continues, and verse 17 says that Ruth gleans in the field until evening, and then she takes her ephah of barley home with her. Just to give you an idea about what she's taking home, the equivalent in kilos is 13.6 kilos of food. She's got several weeks of food in her hands. And I'm not sure what's more impressive, that she was able to get 13.6 kilos of food or that she somehow brought it home herself. I, I don't know what's more impressive, really. The Moabite women must have some serious muscles. She, she also brought home the lunch leftovers. Because verse 18 says she took the leftovers out and gave it to Naomi. And Naomi becomes what every mum is like. If you go out for the day, I'm sure you'll probably remember when you get home from an event, uh, mums love to ask a million questions all at once. And so Naomi does the same thing. She says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Tell me everything. It's very obvious in Naomi's response is that she is seeing blessing. She'd see Naomi with the food in her hands and say, oh yeah, I've got leftovers for you somewhere in here as well. Have a look at verse 19. Look at the response of Naomi. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. What's very obvious to Naomi is that Ruth has found the favor she was looking for. She looked for that in verse 2. Way back in verse 2. She leaves in the morning to try and find favor, and she comes back with several weeks' worth of food, leftovers, and blessing. And this interaction that Ruth has had with Boaz seems to have shifted things in Naomi quite noticeably. Naomi, um, she asked everyone to call her Mara, remember, which means bitter. But she might be turning Naomi again. She might just be turning pleasant again. Have a look at the response Naomi has when she finds out that Boaz was the one that Ruth spent the day with in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's a turning point there, isn't there, for Naomi? And Naomi said, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What Naomi is declaring here is quite remarkable, really. Remember how she declared herself in chapter 1, uh, Ruth 1.13, she says, it's exceedingly bitter for, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 20 of chapter 1, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Verse 21, the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. But now look at her in verse 20 of chapter 2. The Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi was in a place where she didn't believe God was good. But here things are changing. Her view of God as good is being restored slowly but surely. Her bitterness is being replaced by thankfulness. To the point where Ruth shows her how God is providing for them. Boaz has noticed Ruth and his actions benefit the living and the dead. What that means is that uh, his actions benefit Ruth and Naomi, who are living. But it also honors the family of Elimelech and Marlon and Killian. So it's the living and the dead. His actions benefit the living and the dead. And Naomi sees there could be a bit of future hope here. The subtle hint in verse 20 confirms this. 
This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Perhaps there's hope that Boaz could redeem her and Ruth. Perhaps there's hope that they could get married and have kids and keep a line going. There's a complete turnaround, isn't there, from Naomi's bitterness and despair because now she admits, God, your kindness has never forsaken me. Psalm uh, chapter 30 verse 5 describes this moment that Ruth is having, I think, really well. And this is what the, the, the psalmist declares in Psalm 30 verse 5. Weeping may carry on through the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's Naomi's journey, isn't it? Maybe this is the joy that God could provide. And maybe, just maybe, Naomi's mind thinks, maybe Boaz could be this redeemer. Just before we move on, um, take note of that last line of Naomi's in verse 20. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. There's another one. There's actually another redeemer who's a closer relative in the story that we get to in chapter 3 and 4, meaning that another redeemer could ruin this beautiful love story. The nearer relative would have a greater responsibility, actually. It would be up to them first to decide whether or not they're going to redeem uh, Ruth and Naomi. Another husband could get in the way of this beautiful love story, which is what makes Boaz's kindness so remarkable, really, isn't it? He isn't even the closest relative. He's not the closest redeemer in the story. Boaz didn't have to look after Ruth at all. He found out who Ruth was, and he, he didn't have to provide for her. He could have made excuses not to be responsible for her. But Boaz never looks for loopholes or the bare minimum. What motivates his heart is God's hesed kindness and love and mercy that's been given to him. And he responds by giving it to others. He is and will be motivated by love. However, the story leaves us without answers at the end of chapter 2. Ruth keeps close to the young women. She gleans until the end of the harvest and lives with Naomi, no more interaction with Boaz at the end of verse two, at the end of chapter two. No more on their potential relationship, no more plans with future provision for months. We don't hear what's going to happen. We have to wait for a few months for the story to pick up, but lucky for us, we only have to wait a week. Oh, I mean, you could actually just go home after this and find out and read it. But for the rest of our time together, I want us to think through how the chapter ends with a promised redeemer. And for us to think about where this fits in a wider story of God's redemption. Because in Boaz's role as a redeemer, he points us to characteristics and attributes that are evolved in redemption. Boaz actually points us to Jesus. See, Boaz is a redeemer in the story. And this overarching theme of redemption uh, builds and builds and builds for the rest of the story. The redemption story in Ruth helps us to understand God's redemption plan of this world. Like Ruth, we all need redemption. Ruth needs redemption in her situation. She, she finds herself weak and helpless and in need. For her and Naomi, 
the need is food and family. They need it now. They can't get themselves out of the hole they're in. No husbands, no money, no property, no lineage to carry on. They need redemption in their situation. We are like Ruth and Naomi. We need redemption in our lives. Ephesians 2 talks about how humanity is dead in sin and in need of a saviour to breathe life into us. The language is of death. You know, we are dead in sin. We are slaves to sinfulness in Ephesians. We can't free ourselves out of sin. We can't just fix the problems, have our fingers and we're okay. God is holy, we're not. We can't fix this. Ruth and Naomi were in need of family. We need spiritual family. Ruth and Naomi were in need of food. We need living water and the bread of life to satisfy us. We need redemption. This world needs redemption, but redemption comes at a cost. And we'll see this in chapter 4. In Ruth uh, 3 and 4, this other redeemer is introduced to the story, the one who is more closely related to Ruth and Naomi. Boaz asks him if he's going to redeem them. And should he do it, he must buy back Elimelech's property and marry Ruth. Interestingly, he's happy to buy back the property, but he can't come to terms with marrying Ruth because redemption comes at a cost. He'd need to provide for Ruth and Naomi for the future. What happens if he runs out of money? What if he can't provide for them? The Redeemer himself could fall into property because redemption comes at a cost. But Boaz is willing to pay the cost. We'll see that he takes the risk, he buys the property back, and he marries Ruth. And Paul reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 that you and I were bought at a cost. We were bought at a price. If you're a Christian, your salvation comes at a cost. You are free in Christ Jesus because John 8 says that who the Son sets free is free indeed. But freedom to serve Jesus still comes at a cost. And we can never repay it. We can never work it off. The cost of our redemption was the blood of our redeemer. And to be a redeemer, you have to, the will, you have, to have the willingness and ability to redeem. For Boaz, Ruth had both. Uh, sorry, for Ruth, Boaz had both. Boaz was willing and able to redeem. A worthy man full of strength and integrity given by God. A man full of that word hesed. Love, kindness, mercy, faithfulness. A man who loved God the Father in all ways and reflected it in his life. He shows himself to be the right redeemer. And for us, Jesus is willing and able. He was so willing that Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant like Boaz, he humbled himself by being so willing and obedient and able that he went to the cross. Jesus was full of hesed, love, kindness, mercy, faithfulness, who being fully man and fully God can redeem not just one, but the world. And when you are redeemed, you enter into a family. 
into covenant relationship with the other person. You are brought into the family line. Ruth finds Boaz, a relative and redeemer, becomes his wife, and the family line is reforged. Redemption leads to relationship, in-depth relationship, intimacy, and family. Boaz is that redeemer who will find, uh, who will, who will buy Naomi's field and marry her daughter-in-law. Ruth is seen by Boaz as someone who has taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh and brought into both Boaz and Yahweh's family, just like when we are redeemed. We enter covenant relationship with Jesus. We are taken from the wrong side. Again, Ephesians 2, following sin, Satan, and death, and we are brought into God's family. We are adopted into his family as daughters and sons. And our stories are redeemed. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Verse 5, to what? Redeem. To redeem those who are under the law. So that we might receive adoption. And because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. We're redeemed into God's family as his daughters and sons. We need this redemption. We could never redeem or set ourselves free. But by adopting us into his family, we enter covenant relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, God's son. And in this way, Redemption is costly. Adoption is free for the person adopted, isn't it? You get everything that Jesus gives you, but it comes at a cost. Our adoption costs Jesus his life. It costs his blood on the cross. To redeem us, Jesus had to die the death we should have died. And so in redemption, we're given adoption and inheritance. We get what the Father has. We get what Jesus has. Uh, We get a new heaven and a new earth, and we get eternity with our Savior. All of this is here, pictured here in the Redeemer, in Boaz. Everything here offered in Boaz. Because as I said last week, when we look at Boaz, we see a glimpse of Jesus. One who sees our need, sees the cost, and pays the price. He gives us a new heart, a new master, a new status, a new relationship, and brings us into his family. And this should cause us to respond like Ruth does in chapter 2, verse 10. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of even me. Will God's redemption brought with Jesus' blood cause you to fall on your face in worship to the one who has shown you the same kindness and love and mercy? Why don't we pray? Father, thank you for this story. Like Naomi, may we see that your kindness has never forsaken us. Like Boaz, may we see clearly the redemption plan you have in our lives and grant us redemption from our sin and adoption into your family. And like Ruth, may you cause our hearts 
to worship. Worshipping the one who continually shows us kindness, love, and mercy. We pray this for our sake and your glory.